What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Bring in show music, please. Hi there, I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today on Squawk Pod, a red-hot labor market. It's good news, but it's also not so good news. We'll explain. We're in that weird point where bad news is interpreted as good news. Oil's big weekend. OPEC Plus is meeting. The EU is developing sanctions on Russian oil. And we talk about it all with Chevron CEO Mike Wirth. It's about as unpredictable as I've ever seen. And on the volatility coming for global energy. It's an industry that always has existed at the intersection of engineering and technology, economics and geopolitics. Plus, could it be happily ever after for the Magic Kingdom and Florida? Disney's new-ish boss prompting a politics reversal. I'm mending fences. We're all mending fences. We need to come together. It's December 2nd, 2022, and Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one. Cue it, please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin, who are having a conversation as the show is starting. Good morning. We're here. I mean, first time viewer. First time, <laughs> first time viewer. Yeah. <laughs> you can handle it. Before the show. You can handle yeah. it. Yeah. Joe continues during the commercial both breaks. Talking, both we talking. I'm trying to pretend like I don't see you. I need uh, blinders uh, blah, from both blah, of you. Blah, blah, blah. blah. First up today, the latest employment report. Job growth in America blew past expectations for the month of November, even though the Fed has been aggressively tackling inflation. Half a dozen rate hikes this year. The Fed's strategy should, in effect, be slowing the labor market, but the U.S. Labor Department report out today shows that despite those efforts, the economy increased payrolls by 263,000. That's higher than was estimated. Average hourly earnings also increased with wages up 5.1% year over year. This is all to say it's a hot job market, especially in sectors like leisure and hospitality, healthcare and construction, which all saw gains in November. This all sounds like good news, right? Right? We're in that weird point where bad news is interpreted by good news as good news by the markets because they think the Fed will hold off. So a weaker jobs m- number, it's that bizarre Wall Street way of looking at things right now. Um, you worry about the people who are losing their jobs, but Wall Street looks at it as the Fed potentially taking it. Um, There's pause. a Goldilocks number, though, that, 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 that you could get that was still pretty good for jobs, but, but didn't show uh, wage gains. And, and so it, we need to moderate inflation. We don't need to moderate jo- job growth, right. right? I mean, in a perfect world. In so a perfect that, world, you do yeah. that. But uh, I think that Wall Street looks at it as, okay, if more people are losing their jobs, then the Fed will back off a little bit and right. maybe prevent further job They're losses. Already, because uh, you, you know you're seeing some economic impact from these higher rates. I still say 10 years back in the Fed off itself. And uh, 5% PC, uh, X food, food and energy, bad. Yeah. Four is better. Right. Three might be enough. To, to eventually think you're going to get back to two or at least yeah. say, declare victory. 
Yeah, I, I don't think you have to get two two to declare victory. I think two two, like two 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 percent to declare victory. I should Things say. seem to be heading the right way. I, we're above the two hundred moving two hundred day moving average and some averages. The Dow's in a new bull market. You know who's, I, you know who's thinking this bear market rally might be run a little longer? Mike Wilson from Morgan Stanley. But it might not be a bear market rally. He's still calling it a bear market. I know. We Some should people probably aren't. get the opinion of an old friend of Squawk, who I saw you tweeting about last night. Who? The new head oh, of the yes. Fed in Chicago. Austin Goolsby. Austin Goolsby, yes. who would have a good and big take oh, he's not on a this market very guy, issue. But he's, he's, no, he's, but always been, he's a reasonable. I, I tweeted out, too. I, in I terms of where inflation to. can yeah. ultimately Hopefully, go and what it's going to mean. I won't keep hearing about, you know, he never gets back here to have dinner. But that now that would be like bribing a Fed official if I were to if pay, were to pay off the bet. Or to, no, if I were to pay tacos. off the bet. Yeah. yeah. That's um, true. You can't do it anymore. Are, are those, are you, can you buy him Taco Bell tacos? A couple of those are like two bucks. Probably do that. We, 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 he could do that for, for me. I know we can accept Taco Bell. If anyone's thinking about that out there, I, I actually tweeted that out too. I, I said he's a great choice. You know, I have to. Uh, he's earnest he and he's smart. He, he I don't is. I don't agree with him on everything, and we bust each other stones about he's a lot. He's super of, smart. It's a stone. Is super it? I mean, smart. We both own stones that, that that I'm referring to actual stones. I'm not using any pejorative, but we both bust each other's chops. How about chops? That's better. Um, but we have. Uh, I like him. And I think it's a good choice. It, but you know what, what's funny is he's a voting member next yeah. year. Next year, a voting member. And yeah. They called him to see if he'd do the jobs panel today, and he said he couldn't this time. And he didn't. He didn't really say why <laughs> no, initially, he did right? Not say why. Uh, Pretty unbelievable. But it's you know. Now we can't take total credit for this, can we? Or uh, how about none? <laughs> well, I think it's more than none. More than none. Three three times none. More than what's any? three times right. none? Is it still zero, none? Still it's still none. No, I think part of it. Right. Come on, come on. I think, this I think is a good I think it's place more than for, none. This and, is a good, yeah, it's and, more and, than and, none, but less than one. Any. <laughs> I'll, I'll, less than any. Is, look, more than go, none, but less than any. You can go from the jobs panel to Let's work. ask him, damn it, next time he's on, yeah. whether he thinks that, that we right. raised his credibility, visibility, uh, and, and all right. abilities. Let's talk about the rail strike, guys, because uh, that is the big news this morning. It has been averted. After the Senate passed a joint resolution by a wide margin forcing unions to accept the current labor agreement. The nays are 80, the nays are 15, the joint resolution is passed. President Biden said he will sign that bill to save the U.S. economy from the strike, which could have cost up to $2 billion a day. A separate vote on adding seven days of paid sick leave to the agreement failed. I don't know. I finally realized that I guess it had to be done, but I just can't, you know. The, the elected officials decided you're not allowed to strike. It just is yeah, weird. Look, this it's isn't weird. There's, it's, it's, it's part of a it's law. It's, it's part of a law. It's, it's a rail, and, national, and things that are incredibly railway. important. I know, I know, way, I know. The but the president just, had already appointed this you presidential should be advisory I board. I should be where you are. Had already appointed. This was a deal that eight and a half of the other unions had I already know, ratified, and that the presidential advisory board that was appointed seems, by President Biden had signed off on too. It seems like entire negotiation. Sick days. I don't need seven sick days. I don't even want seven sick days. I don't I had zero. So I, I don't know why that's such a big deal. Is I, it just I do. more coming vacation? Out of COVID, yeah, well, coming out of COVID, it's a big deal. And these, these railroad workers have been put under extreme conditions as they've done precision railroading and made it a lot tougher. If you're not there, there's nobody there to back you up. They have had layoffs through the industry over the last several years as a result of some of these things. And the people feel like they're being pushed on. But the problem is they shouldn't have had a 24% raise in pay and then come back later to say we want the sick days. It's all part of the same negotiation. 
question, you would think. It's all a big trade-off. And they, I think they do have at least one sick day that was put in on this. And if you're sick for more than a set number of days, you do get paid. I think if it's more than four days, more than seven days, you do get paid. After it's weird positions. to see a bill passed that says. It is. Twitter, uh, this, it's hard to even, Kanye, wow. Twitter has suspended Kanye West's account after the rapper and fashion designer tweeted an image uh, that appeared to be the swastika inside the Star of David. Uh, Twitter owner Elon Musk tweeted, I tried my best to, uh, despite that. He again violated our rule against incitement to violence. Account will be suspended. Suspension came on the same day that uh, Ye appeared on a podcast uh, posted by the InfoWars conspiracy broadcaster Alex Jones. Jones, and he told Jones that he likes Hitler. He also yesterday, Parler announced that it had mutually agreed with Ye to end his deal to buy that platform. Uh, Parler's uh, parent company said the decision was made right. in mid-November. He's wearing a, like a right. full body weird Spider-Man outfit with, you can't even right. see it, whether it's him or not. And then- And the mutual agreement, by the way, he has no money. I mean, there's, I don't think he could have paid for Parler. Right. So there's a, there's a mutual agreement, why? Back Beyond, on the- uh, Beyond, there's an economic, in addition to this other. Back on the Holocaust denial, uh, yep. that it's a hoax. If you've been to, to, to Dachau, I've been to Dachau, you've been there, it, it, pretty elaborate hoax. I mean, there's just no, I don't understand that. Is that just pure ignorance? What is it that, that, that can get you in that place? How do you get to that place? Can you deny that the earth is round? Well, there are flat earthers, yes. There really aren't flat earthers. There's some real weirdos. Do, we, do they think we're not, we don't have a space station that can look down and see the round earth? All I'm saying is there's some real weirdos out there who are completely lost, not connected to reality. And unfortunately, social but, media uh, yeah. amplifies some of their voices. Yeah. That's... I, I mean, we're never going to understand Kanye, but I guess he didn't like being... He just keeps doubling down and get going further and further. And, and even, so that's the guy he goes to talk to, Alex Jones? Alex Jones, well, Who else way, is going to talk to him? Well, Alex didn't... Jones, who, who, who told them to calm down a little bit. Right. It's crazy. I know. If you've got Alex Jones telling well, you. Well, we still had people say, there, well, maybe there was a way back somehow for, for kind of, uh, there's just no way back no. now. No. Nope. It's over. Forever. Yep. Shouldn't be a suspension. It should be a... Well, no, I don't even care about Twitter. I'm just, no, I'm just saying, yeah. but, you know. Some point. Is it a civilized? Uh, you could say what you want, but you can society. also be canceled for saying whatever you want. People don't have to choose to ever associate with that again. It's weird, though. Farrakhan has gotten away with this for 30 years, right? It's, a, it's weird. It's weird that its ugly head is reared again somehow. We got a little bit of news, and I think this one's a fascinating turn of events. Florida and Disney could potentially be mending fences. The FT now reporting that state lawmakers there putting together a plan that would reverse that move, or at least partially reverse it, to strip the entertainment company of its right to operate a private government around its theme parks. This could fix the fallout from what some had called the so-called don't say gay bill controversy. Now, last spring, you remember, the Florida legislator voted to dissolve Disney's special tax district. That after that big public fight between Governor Ron DeSantis and then-chief CEO of Disney, Bob Chapek, over the state law that restricted discussion of LGBT issues in classrooms. The FT says that some believe the return of Bob Iger will pave the way for resolution. In fact, some of the lawmakers in Florida had been hoping to try to reverse this or do something in large part totally from right. an economic perspective because yeah. 
about a billion dollars of tax liability was going to get moved effectively right, from Disney right. to the right. to the taxpayer. So it there was an economic issue here. Right. And and it's totally the, because I, of Tiger now. I think uh, if, if, if that doesn't tell you anything, he is clearly a politician. He is smooth to be able to do this because I, I wasn't sure how he was going to be able to put this back together. He's been pretty clear about saying to the creative side of the business, I'm going to stand by your side. Um, Chapek really mismanaged that in a huge way. Right. If Bob can smooth, Bob Iger can smooth that over, that's worth the price of return right there. Mm -hmm. the Pretty interesting, though, right? It is. Uh, probably, uh, now, the, the, if you read the, you know, the people immediately say it. Like now that the original guy, the, the, the one who screwed it up, is gone, then they can go back and mend. There's a lot of fence mending going on. There's going to be for the next two years. Yeah. I'm, I'm mending but, but, fences. We're all so one mending fences. We need to be less divided. We need, I we need to come together, come not together. be apart. There have been murmurings for a long time, though, that they wanted to undo this as well, before Iger. Yeah, so but the that's because of, well, of, of the money. But they couldn't say, they couldn't do it without, yeah. This might help them. Cheese will be next. Coming up on Squawk Pod, the complicated job of running a 350 billion dollar oil company. Chevron CEO Mike Worth on the global energy supply, the roller coaster ride of oil prices in 2022, and balancing policy with politics. We work with the administration on a range of things. Our goal of stable markets and prices that are affordable for the economy is something we share. How we get there, we have sometimes different ideas. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. It's me, Cameron, on Squawk Pod. Welcome back. Our next conversation is all about energy with the CEO of Chevron, Michael Wirth. But before we jump in, there are a few headlines in the world of energy that you should know. Coming up this week, OPEC Plus, the global consortium of oil producing nations, will be convening virtually for a decision on global production goals. And the next day, December 5th, the EU's ban on Russian oil imports is set to kick in. Leading into all of that, this past weekend, the U.S. government granted Chevron a six-month license to boost oil production in Venezuela after the country's socialist government resumed formal talks with its political opposition. Now, some context. In 2019, President Trump passed a series of sanctions cutting off Venezuela's oil exports to the U.S. in hopes of supporting that opposition party I just mentioned. Venezuela used to be one of the world's largest energy exporters, with 500,000 barrels a day coming into the U.S. in 2018. It was a founding member of OPEC, but... 
After those 2019 sanctions, the economy took a hit. Today, Chevron is the last major U.S. oil company operating there. Let me kick things over to Joe, Becky, and Andrew on set with Chevron CEO Michael Wirth. Yeah, a few things going on the next few days. Joining us right now on set is Chevron Chairman and CEO Mike Worth. And Mike, thank you for being here today. You're welcome. Um, this is an incredibly tumultuous few days and what has been an incredibly tumultuous few years for the oil industry. Um, what can you tell us about what to anticipate just these next few days with these decisions we're expecting? Well, uh, all I can say is it's about as unpredictable as I've ever seen. Uh, we've got the OPEC Plus meeting on Sunday. A virtual meeting now, not an in-person meeting. Uh, price cap sanctions uh, set to go in effect on Monday, but not yet agreed to, at least the, the price cap for sure. And then, of course, the market reaction, the reaction from Russia and others to all these things. Uh, certain things have been telegraphed or indicated. How that actually plays out, really hard to say. And that comes against the backdrop of the COVID situation that's ongoing in China, concerns about the global economy. So this is a market that can really move in either direction, and it's uh, about as unpredictable as I've ever seen. What do you do in advance of something like that when you are the head of a global energy company? You just sit back and wait, or are there things that you know, you've put in as potential shock, uh, price shock absorbers? Well, we, we take the price of the day. And uh, as you saw during 2020, uh, we took negative prices at, at, for one day there in, in 2020. Uh, we don't run our business based on looking out the window, it's a looking down the road. So we focus on the things we can control, right? Safe operations, reliable supply, protect the environment, meet our customer needs. And our investment decisions really are based on the long term. Uh, but we've got you know, commercial activity, we've got customers, we've got trading activity in these same markets. And so uh, you are exposed to the volatility in the near term. We work to, uh, to manage that and mitigate those risks. Uh, it's part of the business that we're in. Yeah, we heard from Amos Huckstein earlier this week, and he said he's speaking with the heads of all of these big global oil companies pretty frequently. We are talking to the American companies, and I have to tell you, they have been to the White House. They've talked to uh, senior staff and to senior advisors of the president, meet uh, on, a, on occasion with the uh, oil company CEOs. Have you heard from the White House when it comes to what's happening this weekend? Have you heard from anybody at OPEC Plus? Do they check in with you? Uh, I haven't spoken to anybody in the White House recently, uh, but uh, I have spoke to some of the people involved in the OPEC meeting, and I think the decision to go virtual uh, means there's less likelihood of kind of a, a circus around that meeting. Uh, I don't know that they're in a position to predict how this plays out any right. better than what's anybody recently? else. Have you spoken to anyone in the White House this decade? <laughs> Oh. Yes, I. Yes, oh, okay. I, so when so you say that. recently, you just meant. I meant Becky was asking about the. I know, but this week. But, but but you have had uh, productive dialogues with the Biden administration about how Chevron conducts its domestic activities. You've had discussions. We talk about a wide range of activities with people in the administration, and um, you know, there's concerns about diesel and heating oil supplies to the Northeast the issues in Ukraine, Russia, LNG markets. We're in contact on a variety. So the, the criticism that the, the Biden administration has not reached out to domestic producers while it coddles foreign dictators, and you're actually involved in, in the Venezuela situation. Maybe it's faster. Does it come online faster? Is there a reason that, uh, that, that the Biden administration would prefer doing business with Venezuela than maybe domestically? 
Well, I, you'd have to ask the Biden administration. Oh, uh, we, uh, look, we work with the administration on a range of things. Uh, our goal of stable markets and prices that are affordable for the economy is something we share. How we get there, we have uh, sometimes different, uh, different ideas about it. Okay, when you said, and, and it does take patience to be the CEO of, of a major at this point, patience and, and uh, calmness and everything and stability. I, I think that's right. I don't know whether you said that off camera, but I think that's okay to share that, that you do need patience in this in this business at this point in time. Is that you know, it's a it's a long cycle business, and we go through a lot of uh, different administrations, short cycle volatility, different politics. So yes. the question, and I, I guess you probably you may pun on this too. When you hear the president say, "I w we are going to end drilling," no more drilling. There is no more drilling. Ten days ago, after he's saying we want you to increase production, if you hear the president say we're going to end drilling. Do you just take that as, I don't know, as just sort of politicking and you don't really believe it? Or do you say, I'm not going to invest any money because why would I do that if five years from now we end drilling? Well, we hear people say a lot of things. Uh, so you, you just you, you watch what they do. Uh, okay. And we invest through cycles. And, uh, you know, we've received mixed messages, Joe. You've got that right. Okay. And, um, but messages don't increase confidence. Will Chevron be drilling in, in 2050? Yes. Okay. My guess is your job is much more complicated than your predecessors, just in terms of it used to be an issue where you figure, where do I think oil prices are going to go in the next one to five years? And as a result, how much capex do I put in to increasing our drill ability to drill or not? Um, seems to me like it's a much more complicated series of factors that you have to kind of do the calculus on these days. It's political risks, it's pressure from your shareholders, it's pressure from ESG stakeholders and the anti-ESG stakeholders. It's just a lot more that goes into it these days. There are a lot more, more dynamics. It's a, bigger, it's a bigger market. It's, uh, you know, you get trade issues, the, uh, you know, the relationships with countries like China, the uh, changes in right. OPEC and OPEC Plus. Uh, all have created new dynamics. It's an industry that always has, um, you know, existed at the intersection of, of engineering and technology, economics and geopolitics. Uh, but the specific um, economic, uh, technical or political issues continue right. to evolve. And you, and you throw in Putin, and you th do you feel uh, at times where you have to th think beyond all this because for the good of the of the world? I mean, when you look at what's going to happen in Europe potentially this winter after Putin you know, basically used oil and energy as a weapon. If you hadn't, if, if you had succumbed to all the pressure to cut production over the last couple of years until, until recently, we wouldn't be supplying Europe. Do you think about that? that I, there, 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 are, there are developing countries that need energy for, for, for their people to be able to have heat and, and food. We Is that on your shoulders, Mike? We absolutely think about that, Joe. So you we're, have to ignore the noise. We're growing production because the world's growing in terms of demand. Thank you. And we have to look at that well into the future and invest to meet that demand. So uh, we're, we're growing this year. We're well, up in you. the U.S. 15% in the Permian versus the same period last year and continuing to invest to meet so long-term demand. What do you think about the big asset managers? And I'm thinking of BlackRock, because you, and, and you've heard what Larry Fink has said, mm -hmm. and he's been big on lots of climate issues, but then this week was saying, look, I think, and, and by the way, he would say he's been consistent insofar as he would say, if you really read these letters over the years, I've always thought that, there was, that we were going to need oil for a very, very long time. But because I was he told to, you this week 70 years. He, he said 70 years. I've always spoken about the need for hydrocarbons. I actually believe we're going to need hydrocarbons for 70 years. Okay, but 
the key, and this is what we're really focusing on, the key is how do we sequester and how do we capture carbon? How do we reduce what we are using and doing? You may say, whether you think that's consistent or not consistent, but sort of how do you think about the influence that they have or don't have? And also now you see pushback happening from a number of, of red states and others, uh, uh, treasury, you know, pension funds. Louisiana just took $2 billion from BlackRock. I don't know if you think that's a big deal, not a big deal. There's pushback. How does that relate back to you? Well, I, I think Larry's um, letters and perspective have evolved over time as this issue evolves. And, um, and the, the understanding of the issue, the understanding of the realities, the investment required and the pace of change, I think has evolved uh, in, in many different quarters of the, the discussion on this. I think the, the reality that this is a transition, not a cliff, is something that, that certainly people are coming to recognize. And you know, one of the things I emphasize in discussions with policymakers is there are three big things that matter when you talk about energy. Affordable energy is essential for economic prosperity. Reliable energy is essential for national security. And environmental protection is essential because the world wants to see a sustainable planet. We have to balance all three of these in our company. We have to balance them in discussions with big uh, investors. We have to balance those in discussions with policymakers. If you over-index on any one of those, you can create vulnerabilities on the others that are unintended but can be very real, as we're seeing play out in Europe right now. Mike, right now Chevron has indicated that it's going to be spending somewhere between 15 and $17 billion a year in CapEx. Um, that's a big number, but it's down from what you were spending pre-pandemic when I think it was 19 to $22 billion. What sort of signals would you need to see from Washington and from other capitals of government to convince you to spend even more on CapEx to produce more? So we're more capital efficient than we were before the pandemic. We've increased productivity on our activity. The Permian Basin is a prime example of that. So we're actually delivering the output, the growth uh, that we had indicated pre-pandemic at a lower level of capital spending. So we're actually achieving the same goals with less investment, which actually allows us to return more cash to our shareholders. But almost every analyst we speak to thinks oil prices are headed up. Um, I heard this morning one of the houses saying 120 in Brent by the driving season next year. Uh, we've had all sorts of scenarios for $100 a barrel in WTI. If you think oil prices are going up and if you think it's a safe bet, you would spend even more to produce more. It if we think oil prices are going up structurally for the long term. Right. Our investments don't pay out in the next six months, 12 months, 24 months. They pay out over the next six, 12, 24 years. And we, to, to increase spending, we'd have to have a different view on the long run uh, price for the commodities that we produce. And uh, at this point, we really haven't changed our long run views. Like, it, it, like everything, uh, people go to their corners. So from Amos Hochstein to John Kirby at the Department of Defense, Earlier this month, he said, no more drilling. There is no more drilling. The president has issued 9,000 permits for drilling on U.S. federal lands, Peter, 9,000 of them being unused. There are plenty of opportunities for oil and gas companies to drill here in the United States. To President Biden, to his press secretary, 9,000 permits, 9,000 permits. Um, the oil companies just aren't, the price isn't enough, they aren't doing it, they, they've got plenty to drill on, they're just not doing it. Then on the other hand, you read that there's been fewer leases granted from the Biden administration, fewer leases than any time since Eisenhower, since the Eisenhower presidency. What, is, is that just a knee-jerk sort of a, uh, is that just a talking point, the 9,000 permits? Or 
it, it, what's holding back more domestic production? Could you use more leases? Could, are things, is it hard to go to, to Anwar? Where, where would you like to go and drill right now where you can't? I said we're, we've increased spending in the U.S. We're increasing production in the U.S. <laughs> uh, in, in the short Do you feel term, like you're being held back at all by policies that were spelled out on whitehouse.gov on the very first day of the, on January 20th uh, in 2021 that said, here's what we're going to do. And a lot of it looked like it was uh, going to put a damper on domestic production. Sure, Did we, it? We have been held back. We've, uh, we, we, we were the successful bidder in a lease sale that was then held up. Uh, lease sales have been at a much lower rate than we've seen historically. So, it so is, our ability to it's inventory for future exploration and production has been impacted by that. We've had permits that have been held for a long time in places where we had to move drilling activity to other locations uh, where we were ready to go on federal land in New Mexico. So that's a red herring, the 9,000, that, that is? I, I don't recognize the number. I don't, we don't have 9,000 permits. I, I don't know where that comes from. What about Venezuela? The administration moved to um, open up Venezuela for you to go back at least for the next right. six months. What does that mean? What will we see? You know, I think it's a it's a very small step in a direction to explore the opportunity to um, you know to to change the relationship with Venezuela. It probably means that we'll see some oil flow to the U.S. Uh, that currently isn't coming here. That's a good thing because the U.S. refining system on the Gulf Coast was designed to run that oil. Uh, but it's a it's a short period of time. We, we've got to get people on the ground. We've got to assess the situation. We've got to see whether this uh, license is extended and or expanded before we'd put any, any capital into place. And so uh, I wouldn't overplay the uh, significance of that uh, in and of itself. 100 million barrels per day that the 100 million barrels a day the, the globe uses in oil. Um, it's really the demand picture that's probably more important right now than supply because supply is hard to increase. You're looking at China demand, um, some issues that have happened with things there. How do you kind of just figure out how tenuous things are, how tight that market is, how important a million barrels here or there is? Yeah, Chinese demand is clearly down. It's never really come back yet uh, from the pre-pandemic levels, unlike uh, the U.S. and some other places in the world where we've seen the strong demand recovery. There are 100 million barrels a day is a, is a big number. Uh, but supply and demand are the difference between two very large numbers. And so at the margin, uh, swings of a million barrels a day, two million barrels a day, as we've seen out of some of these OPEC decisions, can create a, a real response. Uh, the SPR releases are coming to an end. And that takes a million barrels a day out of the market. Chinese demand, if the Chinese economy were to recover, can put a million barrels in. The effect of the sanctions and the price cap is really uh, very hard to discern right now. And so. There are big moving parts, which is why I said earlier, this market could break right. hard in either direction. And, um, and it's just really hard to call any one of those, let alone the combination of them. Mike Worth, I want to thank you yeah. very much for coming thank in. You. How's, Mike. how's your golf game? And I don't mean playing. I mean reading greens for the golfer in the family that you caddy for. Is it? Are you any better? Yeah, Joe, you... I'm, I'm, I'm perpetually on probation, so I'm always working on that when On greens, it, when you use your feet, you can actually feel some of the break in it. Uh, that's just a I can't, for you. I can't share all my secrets. Though, but, uh, <laughs> Mike's wife is a great golfer. She's a great golfer. That's why and I have that. seen totally you on the back. Amazing. Many times. I've seen I, you on the back. You have seen me with my bib on. And uh, Do you have a good yardage uh, device that, you, that you're using? In the tournaments that, that I caddy for her in, I'm not allowed to use a yardage device. So I got to I'm actually going to do math. You look good in those, good in those bibs. Way. And it says worth, but that's just, yeah. And it's the other Yeah, it's not. Love that. We appreciate your coming. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Great, great to have you on, on Slip a Lot. There you go. 
We'll be right back. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. That does it for us on Squawk Pod today. Thank you for listening, as always. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, follow Squawk Pod wherever you're listening now. We are clear. Thanks, guys. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.